0: and introduce you to the Sounds True Foundation, our nonprofit that creates equitable access to transformational tools and teachings. You can learn more at soundstruefoundation.org. And in advance, thank you for your support. In this episode of Insights at the Edge, my guest is Dr. Melody T. McLeod. Dr. McLeod is an OBGYN and the founder and medical director of the Atlanta Women's Health Care Center. She lectures nationwide on women's health and has written a new book with Sounds True. It's called Black Women's Wellness, your I've got this guide to health, sex and phenomenal living. Dr. McLeod talks about women that she says are I've got this women women who are groundbreakers. And I have to say, I think she's one such person. Take a listen. Dr. McLeod, welcome. Well, right here at the beginning, we can talk about this notion. We've got you, I've got this. Your book is called the I've Got This Guide to Health, Sex and Phenomenal Living. And you start out by talking about someone you call an I've got this woman from history, someone I'd never heard about until I started reading Black Women's Wellness, Dr. Rebecca Lee Crumpler. Can you introduce us to Dr. Crumpler and why you called her an I've got this woman right at the beginning of your book, Black Women's Wellness?
1: Oh, well, thank you for allowing me. First of all, thank you for having me here this evening. And also I would be happy to talk about Dr. Rebecca Lee Crumpler. Uh, She blazed the trail upon which I and many others now tread. Rebecca Lee, and really she was born Rebecca Davis in Delaware, she had an aunt who was a caregiver of people in the community and things like that. And I think Rebecca, liked to see how her aunt was taking care of people. So Rebecca actually left Delaware, went to Boston and became a nurse. And the doctors were so impressed with her quality of care, her intelligence, her dedication that they recommended that she apply to medical school. So she did. She applied to the New England Female Medical College and she was accepted. In fact, Harriet Beecher Stowe helped write a letter of recommendation for her. Uh, she was accepted into the school. And upon graduation in 1864, uh, when I give presentations about her, I say that during the Civil while the Civil War raged uh, in 1864, Rebecca Lee graduated from what is now Boston University School of Medicine. And what I find remarkable about her is not only did she endure those years in the school, again, white uh, colleagues and, and fellow students. But when the war ended, she courageously did something I don't think a lot of people will, would have done. She actually left what she knew in Boston and went to Richmond, Virginia to treat the recently freed slaves that the white doctors did not want to touch. And I just find that remarkable and brave and courageous. And she, had, she endured terrible conditions Uh, And I've done a lot of research on her, and she basically sometimes was denied hospital privileges to admit patients. Uh, Sometimes her prescriptions were not honored by the pharmacists. And one other thing, if I may tell you, is uh, I've read that people there would say that the MD behind her name stood for mule driver. Not medical doctor that she earned, but mule driver. But she endured and she stayed there for about three years, a little bit more than three years, went back to Boston, started her practice for women and children's care. And then she also eventually wrote a book uh, dedicated to, to women's health
0: and children's care. Amazing. And you bring her up right in the beginning, right in the introduction to black women's wellness. Tell me why you wanted to start on that note.
1: Well, one, I wanted to honor her uh, as a physician. Uh, Secondly, not many people know her story, as you said, even. Uh, Her story is not in the history books uh, and and people can call it CRT or whatever they wanna call it. I think people need to just know more of what our history has been uh, from from back in those days. So I wanted, as a physician, to honor a physician upon whose path I tread uh, and to tell her story, just to get it out there. Even if no one reads anything else in the book, I said, let me at least give honor to Dr. Rebecca Lee. Um, And 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 so I was happy to do that. Um, And also interestingly about her, uh, I did not know about her even, and oddly I ended up at the same medical school that she, that later became Boston University School of Medicine. That's where I attended school. And I did not know about her really for many, many, many years. Uh, And I later, long story short, I later uh, initiated an exhibit at BU Medical about her. And I got a proclamation from the governor, Ralph Northam in Virginia in 2019, when he was going through his blackface scandal issue that he had going on. I said, let me reach out to him and see if he will maybe provide a little salve to the black community and give some mention to this woman who served that community. So I was able to secure a proclamation from him. And then as a result of all that, someone in Boston realized that Dr. Rebecca Lee Crumper did not have a headstone. For 125 years, she had no headstone. And so the Friends of the Hyde Park Library, they secured money, got a headstone, and then I got a story on NBC Nightly News. So that was just wonderful.
0: Dr. Rebecca Lee Crumpler, a tremendous groundbreaker in her time. And you here, Dr. McLeod, I would say, a tremendous groundbreaker in our time. You've written the first book on Black women's wellness. Tell me, what do you think is going on that there had never been a book written before this kind of guide focusing specifically on the health issues and health resources for Black women. What came about such that there was this, no one had ever done this before until you.
1: Well, actually, if
0: I may respectfully, Actually, years ago
1: in the 90s, there was a book called Body and Soul that was written by Linda Villarosa, who actually was the executive editor of somebody, some subtitle at Essence Magazine. And so that was really kind of the first book geared to, to black women in particular. And actually I was asked to be a medical advisor to that book. So that was like, okay, that was good. And then, uh, in 2003, I wrote a book, uh, blessed health, where I really basically just dealt with black women can be very spiritual. We'll be in church every Sunday and, and choir rehearsal on Tuesday and Bible study on Wednesday and prayer meeting on Friday and passing out tracts on Saturday. We'll do this every week but we won't go to the doctor one day a year to get our checkups done. So that was in 2003. But I think an issue really has been that, and I'm really, again, happy that sounds true, picked up on this particular book at this particular time, especially with COVID and ethnic health disparities coming to the fore. There had been, my understanding, a feeling in the publishing world that, and you can tell me if this is true or not, that, that black people may not read about their health as much okay they may they may not read these type books uh but there's a need for that and that may or may not have been true i think to some degree maybe maybe not but i again i think covid brought to the fore of everybody's mind ethnic health disparities that there are disparities there are differences people do need to pay attention and and that black people need to not only rely on faith and prayer and and still have a hesitancy about seeking medical care. So the timing of it was just a perfect segue to now come forward and and sounds true. I am grateful for had the vision and even my agent had the vision to say, you know, this is something that needs to be brought
0: out and needs to be brought to the masses. So that's what we hope to do. And you start the book by saying, let's look at the state of Black women's health in the United States today. Can you share with us what that landscape is like, your understanding of it, the most important metrics we need to understand, the most important statistics? And then also, what do you think is underlying those statistics? Help us understand that.
1: Oh, my goodness. Well, there's so many metrics that uh, Black women don't have the same successful healthcare outcomes as as white women. And in the book, I'm I'm happy to say, I really wanted to make sure, because I've told people, you know, in taking care of patients, I'm not a physician only for black women. So I made sure to include uh, comparative data for everybody. I have black, white, Hispanic, Asian, Native American women, graphs and charts, data from the CDC, Mayo Clinic. So I really have a comparative uh, presentation of how one demographic fares compares to the other. But the fact does remain that uh, for various reasons, Blacks, women and men, we're, we're talking women primarily, uh, have higher rates of heart disease, di- obesity, diabetes, even though Native Americans have a high diabetic rate, um, cancer deaths. Now, white women, let's say with breast cancer, okay, whites will get breast cancer more frequently than we do, but we die at higher rates than white women do. So whites get breast cancer more often, a higher incidence of it, but blacks have a higher incidence of deaths from those cancers. And another issue is, of course, maternal mortality and perinatal mortality, and then there's the HIV-AIDS crisis, which is...
0: um, still taking lives. And Dr. McCloud, in identifying these issues, you write uh, towards the end of the book, actually, that Black Women's Wellness was a hard book for you to write. And that these statistics and how Black health statistics are so far off the chart compared to others caused you a deep inquiry and to help me understand why is this so? Tell us what you discovered about the why. Why is this so?
1: Yes, I I did have a hard time. For one, COVID, I wrote much of this during the COVID years. And so mentally, I think all of us were kind of languishing as the word is, you know, we were just kind of in this mental fog. Uh, But also when I was looking at the data, and I ex- I did extensive research on this book a few times over because data changes every day, <laughs> um, but uh, it 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 was painful to me as a black female to see that over the years, over the decades, even over the centuries, but even now still there are these disparities. There are these wide differences in some con- in some cases for some conditions, and What's troubling is, and I think I have a reason why this may be, what's troubling is that even for women with access to medical care and for black women with means and insurance, even those women still will lag behind when it comes to a successful healthcare outcome. And so what is the issue? What's, what's, what's the problem here? You know, why is this happening? And My take on this, and I've thought about this for years, is I think it has to do with something that's in the news right now some of the psychosocial stress that Black women experience, that white women do not experience. Uh, You know, we were easily cast aside. People, even within the Black race, there's what we call colorism. You know, the the, the light-skinned girls are better and more attractive than the girls my color or darker. So there's colorism, that we have low marriage statistics. Um, Again, the obesity issues. So there are issues that we experience that other people just don't have. And I think those psychosocial stressors that we feel, they can cause stress. Physical stress increase our cortisol, which we know will add to increase heart disease. It adds to diabetes. It can add to obesity. So I really think that that's to me that's a major part of the missing piece. Okay, yeah, you may have money, you may have insurance, you may have a doctor right around the corner, um, but still, even those type women. I mean, heck, I get followed when I go into a store when I'm just looking at some earrings on a little card for twenty dollars. I get followed. I get followed. And I mean, sometimes it's gotten to the point where I've even, you know, I walk in this little gift shop or whatever, some of the, the store clerk is over there and I walk in and next thing I know she's, you know, on my rear end. And to the point, even sometimes I've turned around and said, you know, you know, can I help you with something? You know, you, you know, you looking for something, I don't know where, what's in here, but you know, can I, can I help you? So it, it happens. I mean, I don't have, you know, I'm a physician and I can afford these little $20 pair of earrings that I'm looking at on this little card here. So if we feel that. And that I think a lot of people don't realize that this is something that happens every day. It's ever before us that we have to deal with that unspoken suspicion and look and worry and concern that People who are not people of color don't have to go through. So that stress every day, again, it affects your cortisol and other stress hormones. And I think that plays a role in getting these other conditions that we are more prone to suffer from.
0: You introduced this term, the rejection connection. Yes. And when when I heard that, I was thinking that you were referring to how Black women are treated when they go to get medical help. That there's an unconscious bias, like the way you were describing, being treated in the store, looking at a twenty dollars pair of earrings. That also, when Black women go to a doctor, go to get medical aid, that they're also not being given the same kind of, uh, you know, words like a nourishing connection, genuine connection. This phrase, rejection connection. Can you describe that?
1: Yes, I actually created a chart, um, and in the in the book we kind of did a, we've minimized it a bit, but this may not show well, but I actually created this kind of chart of multicolored of just different things. And so, and I entitled the societal stress and black women's health, the rejection connection. And I listed these things that, where we as black women do feel rejected and are rejected. Again, colorism, I think to the, the lyrics that we have nowadays, you know, I tell people we've gone from sugar pie, honey bunch, you know, at Masheria Moore to all kinds of names I won't even, you know, say here today. Uh, those lyrics, you know, uh, Don Imus years ago said it's okay to call, oh, he calls some Black women nappy headed hoes. I mean, that kind of, it, those little things that come at us, you know, that people say uh, our beauty has been rejected. I mean, I don't have to bake in the sun to get some color. But yet my natural color, you know, what is it about color when it comes to skin that's so bad? But yet color is so good in everything else. I mean, what's what's better for you? White bread or brown bread, you know, uh, dark chocolate or milk chocolate. Yeah, so flowers, beautiful flowers and color and art. Color is so wonderful in everything, except when it comes to skin color even in the black community. Again, like I said, colorism, Like Years ago, you know, black women, blacks were not accepted if their skin was darker than a paper bag, okay? That's something that, you know, if you are darker than a paper bag, you're not a good woman, you're not loved. So there are all these little issues. Um, and the imaging that we see is a negative, it's a rejection, you know, you look like that, so you can't be a part of this crowd. Uh, And then there's the crab barrel syndrome, which happens in every, you know, I got to keep you down because I got to get up. I can't have you go up, you know, because no, I'm going to crawl over you like crabs in a barrel. Okay. And that can happen in any demographic, truly, but that goes back to today. So all those things I call, those are the causative factors and they cause stress and that constant denigration, that constant stress leads to these conditions. And also one more thing too is there's a, right now there's an an inequity of education when it comes to black women and black men. Um, Black women right now are soaring when it comes to education, entrepreneurship, starting businesses. And we're not finding that the same with black men, unfortunately. And so there's this educational gap, there's an income gap um, and sometimes we are seen as being assertive when really we're just trying to do what white women do, but we don't, we have to kind of push a little harder to be seen as being equal. And I've, I've experienced that, you know, just,
0: yeah. Okay, so in, in reading Black Women's Wellness, I pulled out a couple of the statistics that really stuck out to me, that Black women have the highest mortality rate from heart disease of all American women. Black women are twice as likely as whites to be diagnosed with diabetes. Infant mortality rates in black women are more than twice that of whites and Asians. This is just a sampling from the beginning of the book. And when I hear you talk about the psychosocial issues and the impact of the stress that comes from racism, from discrimination from unconscious bias. What I wonder is how you're able, because you look at this quite um, rigorously, to identify how much is a factor from this rejection connection, and what are other factors? Factors of genetics, factors of not having as I, this term medical parity, equal access, you said ethnic health disparities, equal access to medical care. How do you identify what percentage each of these things is operating on to impact these statistics? How do you think about that?
1: Oh, that's a tough question because I don't know how to put a number on the psychosocial factor. I don't know, you know, what number is that when it comes to those that pie chart you just gave me you know like what percentage of all that can yeah. we put a number on that I, I don't i don't have that number i really don't have that particular number but i just think like i said that piece has been left out of the pie chart i think a lot of people have always just said oh yes yeah, because we don't have access to care oh it's because we don't have insurance and i'm saying even if we do and this is a fact even if even for those who do there's something else. so what else might that be? So I'm just trying to bring attention that this might be the missing piece that we need to put a little wedge in the in the pie chart for
0: mm-hmm. and to look at that. It's such an important piece for us to address as people of conscience and as a collective. And you know here in the sounds true audience, a lot of our audience are uh, white women and mm-hmm. white men mm-hmm. who deeply care about equity and justice. What would you suggest how we can be advocates, how we can help resolve these issues of unconscious bias that are operating within the medical system? We're looking for guidance of how we can do this in the right way, an effective way, uh, with the right spirit, the right tone.
1: Well, I think the first thing that everybody can do, white or whatever, is get a copy of this book because I've put a lot of that information in there so that you can even become more aware of the things that we're talking about tonight. I think when you see some of the graphs in there, um, again, I, again, I have data for everybody, Black, White, Hispanic, Asian, Native American. So when you even just look at the graphs, even if you don't read a word, if you just flip the pages and see some of the graphs, and sounds true, I will say did a beautiful job. The book is beautiful and the graphs are color and you can they just stand out, they pop. Uh so I would say start with that because I've done the research, and if you really want to learn, just really get a copy. And whites can get a copy too, because the data is there about you as well, or whatever your, your ethnic background is. Um, I think two to the Engage in conversations with Black people. You know, sometimes have some little little conversation groups or little societal groups or church groups. Um, if there are health fairs going on, pay attention to that. If you're in a church or whatever, try to make sure you incorporate people in any kind of health initiatives that you have. I think another thing too, there has to be a level of trust. Again, there is some still some distrust of Blacks Towards whites in the medical field. And again, that goes back to the Tuskegee uh, experiment, but we're trying to tell people, listen, that, you know, yes, that happened. But as more and more blacks enter the medical workforce, become physicians, which we need a whole lot more, uh, we are finding that people are again paying more attention to their health. So I would encourage anyone, again, get the book because the data is there. I've done the research on everybody. The data is there. Uh, and it will give you a good starting point. Uh, of seeing what the disparities are like, and and hearing about what I'm saying, I even have a chapter on, uh, you know, the effect of racism on our mental health. Uh, so I I get into to all that in the book, and and reach out. You know, sometimes we're so segregated, not only in church on Sunday mornings, but you know, I look at people's photographs, and sometimes there are no people of color in there. I mean, when I throw a party, I have Black, I have mixed audiences in you know my home. I have uh, friends from different backgrounds. So look at your circle, widen your circle, things like that I would encourage. We need to begin to be one as a human race and not be so into our corners, which right now we're in the society, a lot of people, we're all in our corners.
0: What do you think about specifically advocating within the medical field? for black women's health?
1: Well, I think in the medical field, physicians even need to be more aware of these disparities and how, and it's been reported across the board when blacks report to an emergency room, let's say they're having chest pain or their pain is not taken as seriously as other people. They may not be offered the same recommend Recommendation for lab tests or procedures to be done. And that's been talked about a lot within the medical community. The discussions are growing. We're not quite there yet. Uh, And again, getting more Blacks in the medical field would help. But that those conversations are happening in physician communications, in the nursing staff, in the hospitals, to be more sensitive, more aware and and not be so dismissive uh because that it is an unconscious bias that happens and and it's being worked on but we still have a long way to go to to rectify that uh and again getting more more of us in those
0: fields who have that awareness will help as well now dr mccloud i want to talk a little bit more about you about you personally at a very young age at 17 you knew you wanted to be an OBGYN. What inspired you at that age? Well, actually,
1: that particular thing happened because of my health class and my becoming a, a Christian. I'll get to that phase. But I think just as uh, Rebecca Lee was a trailblazer, I had the good fortune and the blessing when I was a little girl that I actually had a Black female pediatrician. Dr. Doris Weathers, no A. Dr. Doris Weathers was my pediatrician, a black female. And I used to love to go to her office as a little girl and smell the alcohol in the air. Not drinking alcohol, but rubbing alcohol. I used to love the smell of alcohol in the air. I don't know why, but also I would hear that she helped people feel better. I don't know, maybe parents or the parents were talking to another parent. Oh yeah, my son feels better. And I used to love to go to her office. And I really think that that had an influence on me at an early age. And then when I got to high school, it was around the same time that I became a Christian. And I think when I learned about health and the sex stuff, and I'm like, wait a minute, you mean to tell me, you know, a sperm and an egg get together and you make a baby? I was just like freaking out about that. Like, oh my God, seriously? And that was a miracle. And I felt I wanted to be a part of that. So yeah, when I was in a little debutante ball. Uh, I didn't put physician, I actually put, I wanna be an obstetrician gynecologist. And that was a big big step because my uh, history teacher, I remember very clearly, and again, talking about things that people say that could leave an impact on your mind. I remember my history teacher, uh, Joan Stax was her name. Uh, She was the history teacher and the vice principal of my Catholic high school. I remember at the end of a PTA meeting that I was standing right there with my mother. She told my mother, make sure she takes typing because black people don't become doctors. Okay. But fortunately, I knew better than that because I already had Dr. Weathers. So that speaks to also, you know, if you can see it, you can believe it more. And I could see, you know, okay, then... That's not true. I knew that wasn't true. So, but yet I also had to kind of in my mind not hold on to what she said, but just look at what Dr. Weathers has shown me in reality. So that was my journey. But yeah, I wanted to be an OBGYN mainly because OBGYN to me is mostly a happy field. I knew I wanted to operate. Um, also, you get to see the babies, you don't get to take care of them, but you get to see the little babies. So it was a little bit of pediatrics, it was definitely surgery mostly a happy field. You know, sometimes you have your miscarriages, you have your stillbirths, you have your cancers. Um, But basically, and also too, I noticed I wanted to treat you and get you well. You know, now that I'm older, I realize internal medicine doctors are important because there are chronic illnesses, there are chronic diseases, but I didn't want to, I didn't want that. I wanted to, you come to me I wanna treat you and get you well. I don't want you coming back in a month so I can recheck the same condition over. I want you to treat you and get you well. And I wanted to operate. So that's why I loved OBGYN. It was just all encompassing. Surgery, sisterhood, kind of see the babies and and get you better, get you well.
0: Now you mentioned this history teacher and how painful, scarring, damaging. uh,
1: Still. I, I still, when I th- when I tell that story, I mean it, it's still, you know, really, you know, that she would put that in to my mother. She said it to my mother, but I was standing right there. But it, it, it I still remember, and I still can
0: remember how I felt. It stung. Yeah, no, I feel angry. I felt angry hearing the story, angry and sad both. Yeah, and it, it stung. It, in reading Black Women's Wellness, you also talked about how there were naysayers later in your life when you set out to build your own clinic. I mean, you could have gotten a job somewhere working for someone else and you're like, no, I'm going to build a clinic. And I'm curious to know more about your inner process of Mm. when there were naysayers and how you had the inner confidence to stick with your sense of calling.
1: Well, you know, that's a good question because I've been dealing with that in the last few years. Because um, I I don't know how I did what I did. Um, I never had any, I didn't know any of my grandparents. I had an absentee father who I later found when found and met when I was 49. Uh, My mother had some issues that I later, in fact, had to get an attorney on her about. I mean, it was just really not good. So I really had to kind of and yes, I've discussed this with the counselor years ago. Like, what? how did I do this? You know, how did I stay focused and, and not let all this stuff affect me? Um, again, I relied a lot on my faith. Um, my pastor at the time, he was supportive and, and, and helped me out a bit. But I, I don't know. I, I think God just blessed me with some mental fortitude for which I'm grateful. Um, but yeah, I had always, when I was finishing up my residency, I, I was offered to join some practices, but I had always wanted to hang out my own shingle. And and so I did. In fact, my very first day, I had two patients. I had one at nine 30 in the morning and one at three. And I was so happy (laughs) that schedule didn't last too long, but I just kind of felt I wanted to do that. And then later on the practice grew so well. And, and As a friend said, my life has touched history, okay? Not only did I have a black female pediatrician who was a pioneer on her own right in New York City. uh, I went to the same school that Rebecca Lee went to, my pastor in New York, Reverend Wyatt T. Walker, he worked with Martin Luther King Jr. He was his executive administrative assistant. I came here to Atlanta. I've taken care of civil rights matriarchs, um, you know, Lillian Lewis, John Lewis's wife and, Juanita Abernathy I had delivered their grandchildren. So I've had this come to me, and it, it's just kind of a blessing that you know that that this has happened. So I, I don't know. I just kind of I guess I was just given a fortitude and a strength to to stay focused. It hasn't been easy. And then yeah, I built my own. My practice grew so well that I actually bought some land. And had a, hired an architect and a contractor, and I built a bigger property. And yeah, some people were like, oh, why is she doing that? Yeah, you, know, uh, you know, people just, uh. but then later on, I noticed they did that. I even had a doctor name her practice after mine, which was a little, uh, but I, you know, I didn't have time to deal with that.
0: I was busy with my practice. Now, I also have heard that you're a poet, and I'm curious how you're. Poetic time, poetic writing and reflections inform your work as a medical doctor.
1: Oh, yeah, I love poetry. I think poetry is great, and some people call it a lost, lost art, but I, I think poetry is wonderful. Um in fact, my I, I I put a little self-published book together called Melodies of the Heart, Poems of Life and Love. Okay, and it's I have a little, it's it's pretty, it's a pretty cover. Um Poetry just really is a way for me to kind of just let stuff out. Um, In fact, my, my, I should have put it, brought it here with me. Um, But one of my, the first poem in my little ebook now about melodies of the heart is uh, the words of a poet. And it's like, it's, it's therapy cheap, you know, it's just something it's, it gives a way for therapy, cheap therapy. It's a way to express yourself. Uh, It's, it just comes from the heart you know so i and in medicine i actually have a poem called the physician's heart where i talk about you know the honor as a physician we feel you know that you would come to me for me to give you care is just such i just think that's just such an honor you know you know you can lose your house and your car and whatever but for someone to come to you and entrust their very being to you for you to take care of them it's just been you know I just that just moves me that probably didn't answer your question but I love poetry and I,
0: I read it and write it
1: and love listening to it from other people
0: is there a poem that's alive in you a part of one of your poems that's alive for you right now you could share with us
1: Oh my, I've got so many, I, and I, you know, it's funny. I thought about putting my little poetry book here next to me, but I won't get up and go get it now, but uh, oh goodness.
0: Maybe just a line or two.
1: Okay. Well, from that one, if I can remember, I remember some other poems though. I remember the poem about the guy who broke my heart, but we won't get into that. He regrets it now. So that's one of my favorite poems. <laughs> but, um, the words of a poet that I put uh, when one writes are they're midnight truths. Poems are midnight truths to the to the soul's delight. So I'll just leave it at that. you know, when you you write, it's, you know, in the stillness of your midnights, you you can kind of pour this stuff out. So the words of a poet when one writes are midnight truths to the soul's delight. Beautiful.
0: All right, I want to dig more into Black women's wellness, this I've got you guide from our so capable Dr. Melody T. McLeod. And in the first part of the book, you talk about the five biggest diseases that Black women are uh, challenged by, suffer from in inordinate proportions. And I wonder if you could talk about each one and share with us some insights what we need to understand about the disproportionate suffering of black women and also what we need to understand about our own health in relationship to these illnesses so i wonder if we could do that and let's start with the first one you mentioned which is heart disease yes heart disease is actually the killer the most uh, of everybody
1: okay that's the number one killer of everybody so in that part, it's universal. But yes, we do have, we we suffer from strokes and die from strokes at a higher rate. Um and I, I and, and again, heart disease, whether it's uh heart attacks, strokes, uh emboli, pulmonary emboli. Um, and that again also ties in with the obesity. Um I think, too, I'm really big on personal responsibility, even for all of these things that we're going to get into, especially with maternal mortality and all that. Um, With with heart disease, I I really try to encourage people to just be diligent of what your diet is all about. Exercise is important. Again, this is for everybody. And that's why I I say the book really is for everybody, because the information applies to all of us. It's just that I want to Bring attention to the fact that the numbers are worse for blacks, because no other physician author in years has really specifically addressed this demographic, and that's why I'm happy. Sounds true gave me the opportunity to do that with this book, Um, because we might get a line maybe about ethnic disparities, but to get a paragraph is really unheard of in recent years, and to have a book, you know, it just hasn't been. Um, so take paying attention to your blood pressure. You know, we call high blood pressure, the silent killer. And again, with this stress on us, with weight on us, with, with the psychosocial stressors affecting us, uh, that can cause your blood pressure to go up. And if you're not being diligent about that, uh, who knows, you could have a hypertensive episode and have a stroke. Um, have a cerebral hemorrhage and die. So that's a factor. Obesity, again, is a factor. The extra weight puts strain on your heart. uh, Can lead to diabetes, type 2 diabetes. Lead to cancers. A lot of cancers are obesity-related. So all of those things, yeah, we're just at high risk of all of those major diseases. And also, too, uh, like I mentioned earlier, cancer deaths uh, unfortunately, my office manager died in 2018 um, from pancreatic cancer, and I have to admit I was a little mad at her about it because he, she didn't get the disease; she didn't give herself the disease, but she just she knew better, and she didn't follow through. And, and you know, I didn't like... what,
0: what what do you mean she knew better, Doctor McLeod?
1: Her name was Martha, and her, I have her story in the book. In fact, there's a GoFundMe page that she started just a few. A Two weeks before she passed, or something. Um, Martha was smart woman, educated, wonderful businesswoman. Um, but in January of 2018, she actually had some symptoms. She went to the, she did go to the doctor, and the doctor, God bless this man, he actually told her, he said, I think you, this is pancreatic cancer. And he, they did a biopsy. The biopsy came back negative. Okay. But he told her, he said, okay, pancreatic cancer can be really funky. I want you to come back in a month and we're going we're gonna to check this again. But she was feeling better and she was just going to pray it away, which Black women are, I'm just going to pray this. I'm not claiming it. Okay, that's the thing that, that, that we say. Oh, I'm not claiming that. I'm not claiming I have hypertension. I'm not claiming I have diabetes. I'm not going to put that on me. Okay, it's like if you speak it into existence, so if you don't speak it, it's not going to happen. So she, you know, she, no, I prayed that away. And she didn't tell me about this until April. And I thought, I said, Martha, you need to go back and get that biopsy. Long story short, later that year, she had some little mini strokes, and she didn't tell the doctors at that hospital about the suspicion for the pancreatic cancer, and they didn't pick up on it. And then on October 9th, 2018, she had lost all this weight. She went in, and sure enough, they biopsied her, and she had stage four pancreatic. So she went from pre-diagnosis officially to being stage four and she died six weeks later. So my thing is, I wish she had done what she was told to do. And God bless that doctor. He was very astute. He he saw the signs. And if she had gone back, you know, would she still be living today? Maybe not, but she could have lived longer than those few weeks that she had if she had just done the right thing. And she knew she knew to follow through. I mean she she knew that. But fear and again reliance on faith, which we we do, but I'm saying God puts us here to be helpers one to another. And doctors are here to be helpers to, to, to the population. So Use us. Let us be a vehicle to help you in your getting your health care. You know, we're not here to hurt you. We're here to help you. So I was just upset with her that she didn't, uh, as, as others were, that she should have just gone
0: back and she, and she didn't. You write to all of us that uh, one of your take home messages is to be good stewards of your health that you want each one of us to be good stewards of our health. And I'm curious how you would define that, what that means to you to, to be a good steward of our health, each one of us.
1: Yeah, everybody. And in fact, in the book, I begin with a uh, family uh, checkoff sheet to check your family history, okay, to see what what conditions run in your family. I There's a box there for... Mother, father, sister, brothers, uncles, aunts, cousins, and child, and then the the, di- the diseases are listed on the side. So I start the book with that to kind of check off, you know, who has what in your family. So one is to know your family history, okay. And even sometimes at, at family reunions, people now have uh, a little session where they, okay, let's go over this family. And in fact, years ago I did write a book, brought this one. Years ago I did a little self-published thing called the Health Diary for Women of Color. And it was just it was a checkoff thing where people can kind of check off their own family. And, and actually, some people bought that for their family reunion. So that's one thing. Know your family history. Know what risks run in the family. Uh, you know, Jews may have certain diseases, blacks may have certain diseases, other people, other people may have certain. So know your family history is important. Two. Yes, be a good steward, be mindful of your diet, be mindful of your weight. Don't be afraid to go to the doctor, get your checkup. Granted, the, the timing of when to get a checkup has changed because it used to be always every year, every year, every year, which I'm still a proponent of, but you know, the American College of OBGYN has changed some things and they're trying to decrease testing on some things. But based on your family history, if you know your family has certain diseases, go get checked. More regularly, go talk to your doctor. Breast cancers—if there's a family history, you may want to start getting your mammograms sooner than what's recommended. If there's colon cancer in your family, again, so knowing your family history is really, really key. And also, pay attention to yourself. And in fact, in the back of the book, I have uh, for you to take time to take stock of yourself. You know, take there's a whole checklist for you to look at yourself. Look at your skin. Do you see any moles changing? You know, are you sleeping at night? Sleep is real important. Um, Your weight isn't good. Do you have joint issues and breast mass? Do you do your breast self exams? Do you get your mammograms regularly? Do you get your colonoscopies on time? So there are things that we can do. And even if you don't have money, a lot of times there are free clinics. People need to make use of it. Sometimes we don't. So there, there are resources out there. I just want people to be a good steward of your person because this is all you really, really have is who you are.
0: Now, Dr. McLeod, I asked you about these top five conditions that disproportionately affect Black women and lead to death. And you you mentioned, we talked about already heart disease, diabetes, obesity, maternal and infant mortality, and HIV AIDS. I didn't know about that HIV AIDS as one of the top big five. Can you tell me more about that?
1: Yes. And there may be a reason why you may not know about that as much right now. And for a while, HIV and AIDS, black women are the fastest growing demographic of new HIV AIDS cases. And why is that? And why has it been? It's because purely heterosexual women are having sex with men who go both ways and the men aren't telling the women look you know i go both ways this is how it is especially black men and i give data in here which is just shocking and stunning um and the cdc for a while was hesitant to put it out there cuz they didn't want to stigmatize the community but I and some other doctors, I used to be on a advisory board to the CDC advisory council. You know, we had to say, listen, that's not stigmatizing. Don't we tell people who are obese that you are at higher risk of type two diabetes, stroke, heart attack. Don't we tell smokers, if you keep smoking, you're at higher risk of lung cancer. We tell people who play tennis, you're at higher risk of getting tennis elbow. Okay. So that's not stigmatizing. That's informing. That's educating. And then finally, the CDC came out and, and put it out there that yes, men who have sex with men are the main reason why there's so much HIV and AIDS because not only are they getting HIV and AIDS, but they are also getting related STDs. And so when you have these purely heterosexual women thinking they're with their guy, thinking he's not, not only monogamous, but that he's purely hetero, and he really isn't, he's bisexual. So they're having sex with these men who are bi and that's how they're getting high numbers of HIV and AIDS. So that whole down low issue is what it's called, okay. Hetero women are having sex with down low men and they're getting infected. And that's why the HIV AIDS rate is so disproportionately high in black women. I tell people, it's not that we are genetically predispositioned to have higher rates of HIV and AIDS. That's a personal conduct thing. That's a thing of knowing your numbers. And lesbian women, they don't have that issue because they're not having sex with down low men. So that's, that's why, you know, lesbians, they don't have to worry about it. And I actually, in the book, in the HIV section, I have that all broken down um, of that. I have, you know, men to men in the blacks, whites, Asians, and also, you know, woman to woman. There are, the the numbers for HIV and AIDS is just practically nil. And one other problem too, we're finding too in the black community more than others is we're seeing HIV AIDS in 13 and 14 year old boys. Why is that? One key reason, and probably the key reason is because 70% of babies born to black women are born to single mothers. So you have these women having these children without a husband. And what's happening is they may have a boyfriend come in, a serial boyfriend. And unfortunately, a lot of these men are molesting these young boys. And that's why we have found some unfortunate numbers of HIV AIDS in 13 and 14 year old males. So that's, again, I I tell people, just know who you're getting with, check it out. You know, you don't have to jump on the first thing that comes along, just be careful and take it easy and use precaution, use precaution. So no, lesbians don't have that issue. It's hetero women engaging with men who don't tell them what's going on. And now white men will tell it more than a black man will. So that's that's a big crisis in black Why? Women. Why is
0: that, do you think, do you suppose?
1: Well, despite the numbers, homosexuality in the black community is still you know not favored even though the numbers are are increasing um so they just don't want to say they, they, they just don't want they, they just don't want to say they won't they don't say it so that that falls on the woman then to just really take take her time and you know don't be jumping along the first thing that comes along you've got to be careful about that and I live in Atlanta and there's a very large uh population here and of, of high numbers of HIV AIDS, especially in certain communities down by the mm-hmm. AU Center, which is where Morehouse and Spelman and Southwest Atlanta is, there's it's a very high HIV population there. And um, people just have to, they just have to put on, you know, just stop for a little bit and, and check out who you're going to be with because you don't know what they're doing. They could be
0: not being honest with you. Dr. McLeod is underscoring the health benefits of being a monogamous lesbian. Right here. Oh,
1: no, I did not say that. No, not
0: say I'm just that. kidding with you. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just joking with you. But uh, I am curious to know when that we is talk about that.
1: benefit that let's just it, it is a health benefit. Like, like, like we heteros do. But you
0: know. <laughs> No, I know. I'm just joking. But uh, I, I, am, I am curious to know when it comes to genetic factors, because we haven't really addressed that. What are the genetic risks that Black women uh, face? related to their health?
1: Genetics, well, there are certain diseases, like again, like sickle cell anemia. Some people may have um, uh, 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 multiple sclerosis. Some people may notice they have more higher incidence of that. Um, And I I think, and and one thing that's happening too is we're having a lot of research now about genetic advances in, in care, which is really, really good and immunotherapy and stuff like that. Uh, but again, that's again where the, you know your family comes in it to be important. You know, know what the genetics are in your family. Colon cancer, Lynch syndrome, there's a certain condition with colon cancer patients where one person in the family may have this particular condition in their colon called the Lynch syndrome. And that's really important to find out. Is that something you have? So you have to be tested for that. So again, that goes back to family history, know your history and and follow up with anything that pops up abnormal. Uh, Cause if you
0: can catch some things early, you know, if, if you're proactive. Okay, Dr. McLeod, I just have two final questions for you. One is that there was a a line towards the beginning of Black Women's Wellness, where you write, the goal isn't to be like white women, it's to be healthier, Black women. And I wanted to understand what you meant by that.
1: Well, really just what it says, we're not trying to be like white women. I just want you Black women to pay more attention to your health, focus on what you need to do, focus on your family and be healthier than what we've been. Cause we need to change the numbers. We need to turn this around. We need to stop dying from conditions that other people, white women in particular are surviving. Asian women in particular are surviving um, and we can do it. I really, I really believe that we can do it. I mean, I, I guess even for myself, you know, I I had to have some belief in myself, even though sometimes I didn't feel I did. But you have to believe that we can do this, and and there are resources out there. Um, again, there are community clinics. Sometimes going back to the whole faith church thing, you know, a black church might have a big old concert, and the church is packed to the gills, but you have a health fair, and you'd be lucky if you get fifty people there. So that's changing. And now too, with the book, and again, I'm grateful for the book. Now there's a book, there's a book of knowledge out there. So again, I'm really hoping, and if anyone's in the media who's listening to this, you know, help me, help us get this book out there so people will know that it's out there. I thought of something last night, this morning at three o'clock in the morning, because I'm not sleeping, because I'm getting nervous about the book. (laughs) I really am. Uh, But I thought about, you know, when a tree falls in the forest, and no one hears it, it's, there's still an impact. Okay, a negative on the earth per se. But if if a book is out there and no one knows about it, you know, we need to make an impact in the numbers that are, that are poor. And so there's a book out there now that can make a positive impact, but people need to know about it. So we have a book, but if no one hears it, does that mean there's no book out there? There is one now. And uh, and we need to make a positive impact to make a change to bring forth healthier Black women to society to at least bring us up to a, a point of equity.
0: Which brings me to my final question: When you project yourself out into the future and you see the ripple effects of a book like Black Women's Wellness can have in the world, the ripple effects of a conversation like this that ripples out and ripples out and ripples out. Now we're out, we're 10 years out, we're 20 years out, we're 30 years out. What is the vision of possibility that you see? What are you holding?
1: Oh, I would love it if we could just see the numbers come down, if we could see one, can't, let's take cancer. I mean, cancer rates for some conditions are dropping overall because people are paying more attention. So I would love to see that Black women aren't dying from cancers as as much as we are. I would love to see that we aren't having strokes at the rate that we are. I would love to see that that women who get pregnant aren't dying from you know with maternal mortality issues or or losing babies, perinatal mortality. I would love that the numbers just, you know, that our rate, when you see these graphs in this chart and you see black up here and whites here and Asians here, the number, you know, the bar graph, I would love it where we've come down. Even if these don't go up, I want to see the, the, the rates lower where we're just off to a healthier start. Cause also women may mostly are the caregivers of the family. So changing the health of black women can affect the health of, her husband and her children because she's really basically taking care of, you know she's the one come on honey you need to go to the doctor you know you know she's the one that takes the kids to the to the doctor so changing the health of black women
0: can change that of her family and future generations i've been speaking with dr melody t mcleod author of the new book black women's wellness your i've got this guide to health sex and phenomenal living And if you'd like to watch Insights at the Edge on video and participate in after-the-show Q&A conversations with featured presenters and have the chance to ask your questions, come join us on Soundstrue One, a new membership community that features premium shows, live classes, and community events. Let's learn and grow together. Come join us at join.soundstrue.com. Sounds true, waking up the world.